So we've been in a series titled Red. And Red stands for Remember Every Day. To you and I, we need to remember every day the promises of God in our life. We need to remember every day the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to remember every day the fact that he has us in the palm of his hand. And throughout this series, we've talked about a few different topics. We, we started off talking about the fact that we are called to a higher standard. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. In other words, you can't just go by what's there. You've got to go above. And every example he gave us was to go further. If they make you go a mile, go with them too. If they smack you on the right cheek, give them the left. If they take away your tunic, give them your cloak also. Go the extra mile. It's called to live to a higher standard. We talked about the fact that we can overcome temptation. Now, this is something I'm harping on a lot because I find that too many times in the body of Christ, we allow shame to settle in because of the fact that we were tempted But temptation is not in and of itself a sin. And that's what we have to understand. A temptation comes, that is not sin. Falling into the temptation is a sin. Well, prove it to me, you might say. Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, who is our high priest, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Temptation does not equal sin. Why do we need to remember that every day as Christians? Because we will fall into temptation when we isolate ourselves from other brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you face temptation, run away from it, go and confide with someone that has your back, you can overcome it together. I was watching Planet Earth the other day with my daughters. I don't know if it was the right thing to do right before bedtime, but we were watching it. I forgot. I I thought it was the one about the glaciers, but then they switched and there was this lion chasing some zebras or gazelle or something or other. And Abigail props up. She's like, run away, run away, don't catch him. And Patty's like, not a good idea, (laughs) you know. And the narrator in his very nice deep voice is like, and the animal is chasing the prey. And he is trying to get the one that is the weakest, the one that isolates himself from the pack. The devil watches National Geographic, too. Just kidding. Just kidding. But he does know that it's easier to get the one that is isolated. So why does he try to get shame on us so that we, when we face temptation, instead of running away and overcoming it, we isolate ourselves and then we fall trapped to it? But as a believer, you can overcome temptation. We talked about the fact that we are called to forgive. Church, we're called to forgive. Much has been forgiven of us, and we're called to forgive others. But what they did was unforgivable, and they didn't apologize. It doesn't matter. That wasn't part of the instruction. That wasn't a caveat. That wasn't something that had to happen. It wasn't a stipulation. The thing was, forgive as God forgives you. And last week, we talked about the fact that we got to cry out to God and continue to cry out. We talked about Bartimaeus the blind man who was begging on the side of the road and he heard this commotion and he asked people, what is it? What is it? I can't see, but what is it? I hear all the noise. They said, it's Jesus. So he screamed, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and everybody around them, shh, shh, stop. But the Bible says he didn't get quiet. It says that he yelled even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And as he continued to cry out, Jesus stopped, called him, asked him, what do you want? And he was specific. I want to be able to see. And Jesus healed him. And today, we're going to conclude this series. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the message, every week, we've had a little skit to get us rolling with it. So we can't not do that on Resurrection Sunday. So let's just open our eyes and ears to what we're going to begin to get through this little skit. Arise, entering the Honorable Judge Diane Josephine Barbara Julie Rivers. Oh man, wait, 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 wait. Isn't that the janitor from the library? No, that's the, that's the delivery lady, UPS lady. No, that's the lady that was singing at the Mexican restaurant. She thinks she can sing. Uh, no, that's, that's the lady that's always telling me to read my Bible and always hits me on my arm. I remember her. Order in the court. You may all be seated. Your Honor, the case today is the state versus Javier Alejandro Sanchez. Is the prosecution ready? Yes, Your Honor. What are the charges? Your Honor, the charges are shame, dishonor, poverty, brokenness, captivity, bondage, mourning, and a spirit of heaviness. Yes, actually, I've seen Order through all court. of that. He should be ashamed. I've seen it. You better sit down. Remember what happened last time. Oh, yes, I do. Well, Your Honor, Your Honor, I know you don't like this type of attitude, but this gentleman clearly serves as a witness that validates all my charges and also further validates that this man deserves all the punishment he gets. You know, the price has already been paid, and this is my courtroom, and the charges are dropped. You are what? free to what? go. What? Your Honor, Your Honor, wait a Order second. Your Honor, Your Honor, Your Honor, that's not... the court. All rise... Hey, Betty, do you remember me? Hey, you look like you've, dropped, you've lost some weight. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> the price has been paid. One of Jesus' final words on the cross was, it is finished. Every single thing that was part of the messianic prophecies Everything that was spoken about that the Messiah would go through, it is finished. And we need to remember every day the fact that the price has been paid. The Bible talks about the fact that we have an accuser. The book of Revelation calls him the accuser of the brethren, but it says that he was defeated by the blood of the Lamb. And he accuses us. And even though every single one of us has an accuser, we have a Savior who paid the price. We have a Savior that took care of it. We have a Savior that said, it is done. Now, I want to read to you out of the book of Luke this morning. I want to start there. The book of Luke, chapter 4. Go to Luke, chapter 4, 
Luke chapter 4, when you've got it, say amen. Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 16 and it says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he looked at them and read one of the best, biggest messianic prophecies out of all the Old Testament and looked at everybody and said, and it's happening now. And if you continue reading, it says that all of the Pharisees and all of the people were so filled with wrath that they tried to find a way to kill him. They tried to find a way. They were planning on following him and throwing him off a cliff. But he walked right through them and walked away. Our Messiah. Now, he read out of the book of Isaiah. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 61, which is what he read, so that we can get a further understanding of what it is that the Messiah does for us. Isaiah chapter 61. And it says this. I marked the wrong chapter. There we go. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Let's talk about good tidings for a second. I mean, What does it mean to be poor? And in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. What is that talking about? That is not necessarily a physical poorness. It's you understanding that you need a savior. And it says that he came to bring good tidings, to bring good news. And what better news to hear that it has been paid for? I mean, I like to eat. And I like going to a nice restaurant every now and then, right? We, we have a budget, so we can go all the time, we, you know, every once in a while. And let me tell you, you know what's really, really, really good? If you get there, you order what you want, you get your meal, you do everything, you eat it, it's amazing. You ask for the check, and the waiter, so the waiter comes up and says, hey, somebody took care of it. Ooh, that tasted so much better. <laughs> like, whatever you ate, man, if, if, you, if you had fish, it tasted better. I don't eat fish, so you can have mine. But if you had pork, it tasted better. If you had steak, man, it tasted better. Good tidings, good news, it's been paid for. And then he says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Many of you have heard me say it before. It's one of the phrases that I think is the biggest lie. Time heals all wounds. 
not true. It doesn't heal it right. I, I, I remember last year when my mom fell and fractured her hip, or she fractured her hip and then fell, because that's usually what they say happens. She had to go to the hospital. The doctors came in and said, you need to have surgery. You need to have a total hip replacement. She said, no, I don't. I'm not doing it. I, I am not. And it was, this, it, was this, it was this young lady, super sweet, and she looked at her and she said, you have three choices. We do the total hip replacement and you can walk again. We do a partial hip replacement and in two weeks, three weeks, six months, maybe a year, it's going to give out and you're going to be back here again waiting for the total hip replacement. Or you can choose to have no surgery and never walk again. That one stung. See, time was not going to heal her hip to the point of being able to walk. And we hear that, oh, time heals. No, 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 no. Jesus heals. You've been hurt. Your emotions, your inner man, you've been hurt to a degree that has bound you, that is hurting you. Jesus came to restore you and heal every part of you of you. Your physical, yes, Jesus still heals. Your emotional, yes, Jesus still heals. Relationships, yes, Jesus still heals. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Then he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Do you guys know of a famous little monument in the United States in, in, in the state of Pennsylvania called the Liberty Bell? Does anybody know what it says on the Liberty Bell? Liberty to the captives. And it quotes Deuteronomy, where that verse is found. One of the iconic symbols of our country. We need to sound the alarm to everyone that we can that Jesus came to bring liberty to the captives, to bring freedom to the oppressed and the ones that are in prison. We are no longer called to be bound. We are no longer called to be tied. We are called to be free. And we need to remember every day. Remember every day. Wake up in the morning and look at yourself and say, God has set you free. Look at yourself and say, God has come to heal you. Look at yourself and say, God has come to console you. Because that's what it says in verse number two, right? It says, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort those who mourn. To comfort those who mourn. Man, when you lose someone, it hurts. If you've ever experienced loss, it hurts. And it doesn't matter the circumstance, right? It hurts. And I, I've done funerals for people that were well past 100 years old. Long life, amazing life. And you see the people's family sitting there weeping, saying, I don't know how I'm going to live without them. I want to be unpastoral for a minute sometimes and be like, dude, really? <laughs> like... 
but loss hurts. And it's normal for loss to hurt. But Jesus came to comfort you so that you don't have to be in that eternal mourning. It can be turned into joy. And then he breaks it down further. To console those who mourn in Zion. And then he talks about what he's going to change. He says, give them beauty for ashes. There's an exchange. I'll take away your ashes and give you something beautiful. It says, the oil of joy for mourning. Right? I mean, I don't know if it was bed, uh, Bath and Body Works who invented it. But Bath and Body Works has some really good body splashes. You know what I'm talking about? All right. So you ever, you know, not smell the way you probably should because it's been a long day, but you got to go somewhere and you get that splash and you're like, psh, psh. come on, y'all looking at me, but some of you know that's true. Come on, be honest. Don't, li- don't leave me up here by myself. You get it, right? I got to go somewhere. Somewhere. I'll, I'll go up to my wife and I was like, do I need to change? I'm all right. And she's like, you smell like outside. Go change. You smell like sun. That's how she says it. You smell like sun. In other words, you stink. But <laughs> my wife is very lovey-dovey and sweet. Unless she's in the classroom and then she has to lay down the law. But anyways, it says there's an exchange. The oil of joy from mourning. When do you anoint yourself with oil? When do you put something on? When something's got to be taken off. And then he says this one, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness is talking about discouragement. And the garment of praise is exactly what it sounds like. It is praise unto our Father. And as you begin to praise God through your problem, through your issue, it's like when you're really cold and you pull out a throw and wrap yourself completely. Some of you bring them to church because it gets cold in here. We get it and we cover ourselves, right? Every part of you, you're sitting on the couch, the air's hitting you, you like bring out the big snuggie. Get in there, cover your toes, cover your arms. You get in there, you get snuggled and nestled in. That's what that picture is. As you begin to praise God, even in the midst of all that you're going through, there is a garment that covers you. And then it removes that discouragement. It takes away all of those things that were weighing you down. And all of that to testify because it says that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He continues to say, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. That was a prophecy of what happens to those that experience salvation. And Peter writes in the first book of Peter, he says that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. 
It was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that once the Messiah came and paid in full our debt, we'd be a royal priesthood. I mean, Jesus put it all on our shoulders. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. It's not just the pastor who preaches. It's every single one of us in our daily life, crying out to God, overcoming temptation, forgiving people, living at that higher standard, remembering every day that the price has been paid. And he continues to say, you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Now let's stop there for a second. That's one of the enemy's weapons, shame. What does shame make us do? Run away from God. How many of you have heard people say, well, I can't go to church. I've got too many issues. I'm living wrong. I've got to do this. When I fix it, I will go to God. No, bud. You go to the doctor when you're sick. You go to the mechanic when your car don't work. You go to the grocery store when the refrigerator's empty. You don't stand in front of the refrigerator and say, when you stock yourself, I'll go to Publix. You don't. But that's what we do because we feel shame. It's the same thing that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. When sin entered and God said, he played hide and seek. It's the first game of hide and seek ever recorded in the history of mankind. Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where he was. He was just treating him like the two-year-old he was acting like, right? Come on, I, get, I go to get Samantha and she hides behind a little stick. And I play along. Sammy, where are you? Where's the baby? She covers herself with her towel. Where's the baby? So God's there's like, Adam, where's the baby? And Adam's like, God, you called me and I was naked, so I felt ashamed and I hid. And I tried to cover myself. What, 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 what did Adam, anybody know what he covered himself with? Fig leaves. He went and he got a bunch of fig leaves. First project runway. Boom, covered himself up. And God looked at him and said, that don't work. Had a Tim Gunn moment. You got to fix that. But guess what? You can't fix it yourself. It needs blood atonement. So God dressed Adam and Eve with the skin of an animal. See, the Bible doesn't say that that was the first blood covenant, but if you read between the lines, you can't take the skin off an animal without there being the shedding of blood. So God redeems Adam and Eve at that moment by removing the skin of an animal and preparing a garment for them. Fast forward thousands of years to Jesus who comes as the perfect lamb of God to lay down his life, to bleed that our sins may be forgiven and not feel shame. But what did it say in the book of Isaiah? Double honor. See, it reminds me of the prodigal son. The prodigal son in the book of Luke, it tells a story. He goes to his father and says, give me what's mine. 
Give me my inheritance. In other words, I wish you were dead so I can have what you're going to leave me. Give it to me now. The father, out of love, sells whatever he has to sell to liquidate and gives his son what belongs to him. The guy takes off, lives a prodigal life, is the way it says it, wasteful living. He finds himself with nothing, working on a pig farm and wishing he could eat the slop that they fed the pigs. That's what it says in the Bible. So then he says, hold on a second. Here I am wanting to eat slop, but in my father's house, there's all these people that got plenty of food. So all these servants, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to tell them I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm shame. I am, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy. I I, I don't deserve it. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them that. And it says that he goes and the father sees him. He doesn't see the father yet, but the father sees him and runs to him and hugs him. And the kid begins to say, father, I'm ashamed. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, hey, bring him a ring, bring him a robe, put shoes on his feet and kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. My son was dead and is now alive. In other words, the shame is lifted and I'm giving him double honor. He already had given him an inheritance. And now he's throwing him a party again? If that's not double honor, I don't know what is. And when we run to the Father, he sees us. He clothes us. He puts a ring on our finger. He throws a party and says, this is my son. The devil operates in trying to give you shame. But Jesus came to remove shame and give you double honor. And then it says in the verse, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. In other words, you're not going to walk saying, but why? I don't deserve this. I don't this. this." You're going to say, wow, you love me that much? You rejoice in the Father's love. And then he continues to say, verse number eight, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. People are going to look at you and say, but, 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 but you used to do this with me and you used to do that with me and you were worse than me. How are you living this life? How is your marriage going well? How do you have uh, prosperity? How are your kids healthy? Why is it? Because ah. Jesus paid the price. Paid in full. Paid in full. And people look at you and say, but I don't understand it. Don't worry about it. You're not called to understand it. You're just called to know this. God paid the price. See, you and I, we can never, ever, ever attain it on ourselves. We need that Savior. And if we go back to verse 10 and 11, look what it says. I'll greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It reminds me of the story I heard of a village chief. His name was Garcia. And this village chief experienced a famine in their area. And because of the famine, he had to go out and begin to ration all of the food out for people so that they can survive the famine. And it came to his attention that somebody was stealing some of the prepared rations. So they come and tell him, and Garcia says, whoever is caught stealing rations is going to be whipped five times. They proclaim it. And they come again. Garcia, someone's stealing rations. And he escalates it. He gets to the point where he says, whoever is caught stealing rations will be whipped 30 times. They finally catch the person, but to the surprise of everyone, it was Garcia's mother. And they come and they say, Garcia, we have caught the culprit. He says, execute the judgment. He said, you need to understand something. The person's your mom. So he's faced with a dilemma, right? Forgive her and lose the respect of my whole village. My word means nothing. Punish her and lose the respect of my whole village. He doesn't care about his mom. So he says, three o'clock, tie her up and proceed. The entire village came. Every single person. It spread everywhere. And Garcia is sitting there watching and everybody's there, right? Like, I can just imagine people pooling. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? I got five on this. I got ten on that. And they bring her and they tie her to the, the pole right in the middle of the camp. And as they get there and the people prepare and bring out the whip, he stands up and says, stop. Everybody's looking. And he walks over to his mom. He removes his robe. He gets over her back and says, now whip. See, he fulfilled both things. His justice and his love and mercy. Jesus came. He said, Father, your creation is so wonderful. They deserve eternal damnation in hell. But I'll pay the price to show them all that you love them, that you're just and you're righteous. 
but that you're merciful and compassionate. He covered us with the robe of his righteousness. And that's what we need to remember every day. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But he paid the price that we can cry out, that we can overcome temptation, that we can walk in forgiveness, and that we can walk in the higher standard that we're called to live. Tabby, come to the piano. I want to share with you the divine exchange. I want you to picture what this is. Jesus was punished that you might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that you might be healed. Jesus was made sin with your sinfulness that you may become righteous with his righteousness. Jesus died your death that you may share his life. Jesus became poor without poverty, that you might become rich with his riches. Jesus bore your shame that you might share his glory. Jesus endured your rejection that you might have his acceptance as a child of God. Jesus became a curse that you might receive a blessing. What's the resurrection story? If you were to ask me today, what does the resurrection mean to you, David? It means that I'm no longer bound to my sin. If you were to ask me, what does your resurrection mean to you, David? It means that I'm no longer bound to my shame. You know, shame is a big one. I mean, have you, have any of you have to punish your children? Have any of you remember being punished as a child? You know, we use this thing nowadays called a timeout. And it's okay, there's certain offenses that a timeout is merited. There's other offenses that I need to introduce you to the back of my hand, but time out. You know, my daughter sometimes, she'll storm off and put her head down and go sit somewhere. I'll be like, Abigail, what are you doing? She's like, I'm putting myself in time out. I'm like, why? Well, because I did this to Alexandra and that was bad. I, I, I need a time out. Alexander does it too, right? I remember my cousin used to, we, 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 we feel the shame, right? We feel, and so we punish ourselves. So David, what does the resurrection mean to you? It, it means that I no longer need to punish myself because Jesus paid the price so that I didn't have to. What does the resurrection mean to you? It means that I don't have to walk bound to my 
pain and disease because Jesus bore them on the cross. It, it means that I no longer have to be bound to sin because Jesus paid the price. It, it means that I don't no longer have to be chasing around trying to find it and make my own way because Jesus made the way, because he is the way, because he is the truth, because he is the life, because he tore the veil, because I can get to God and I don't need anybody else. And so as I look in the mirror every day, I look and I'm like, man, remember every day. Remember, because the enemy's going to come. The accuser of the brethren is going to stand there and say, X, Y, and Z. But God. She can't forget the but God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. On this Resurrection Sunday, April 21st, 2019, I challenge you. I'm going to date myself here a little bit with this. I double dare you to remember every day. Remember every day the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Remember every day that he gives you beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Remember every day that in place of shame, he gives you double honor. Remember every day that instead of confusion, he gives you the understanding. Remember every day that he came to heal, to restore, to give you liberty, to give you freedom, to console you. Remember every day.